Welcome to this episode of Lead Up Katie Cast here with my friends, Mr. Mark McCord, principal at Stockton Junior High, Dr. Jake LeBlanc, principal at Katie Junior High, and I'm Christopher Bailey, assistant principal at Morton Ranch Junior High. How you doing today, guys? Doing well, thank you. All good, man. Very cool. So today's topic is assessments guiding instruction. So we're talking about how assessments fit into the classroom and how they guide our instruction from day to day. So two big breakdowns in terms of assessments that we're going to start with and just kind of define these so that we can make sure that uh, we know what we're talking about whenever we're talking about assessments. So uh, the, the, the big, big breakdowns, defining formative assessments versus summative assessments. Who wants to start out talking about formative versus summative assessments? I will be happy to. Uh, as most of you, I'm sure, probably know the difference or the distinction. Uh, in a formative assessment, you're just going to gather feedback that can be used as the teacher, and it's going to help you kind of guide instruction. It's not really something that you're testing or something that you're looking for a grade. It's just something that you're looking to, to determine, okay, where's the class? Where's the specific student? Where do I need to go from here? Whereas a summative assessment is a little bit different. Uh, you're assigning a grade. Uh, on that particular assessment, it's usually a, well, it could be anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be written, but typically they are. Uh, but as we get more creative, as we need to, we go beyond the written uh, and we do some performance types of assessments. But again, summative assessments have grades. Formative assessments basically just help you with your instruction and help you determine where you need to go. What, what I think of whenever I, I try to separate those in my mind I think of uh, formative assessment as being, you know, that that thing that informs us. It's sort of like assessment for learning, and you know, summative is more like assessment of learning. So I think that's the big difference to me. Is one really is as guiding instruction, it's informing the teacher as to to the pathway they need to go next. And of course, summative is kind of at the end, and you're sort of uh, stamping that, that value right at that level where they are. So that's more of an assessment of learning instead of for learning. Yeah, and, and certainly both of them are, are important, but there is a distinction. There's, there's a different need for, uh, for the different areas. So what would you guys say uh, in terms of what those are needed for? Why do we, why do we assess you know, formatively uh, versus summatively? Well, I think uh, as far as formative is, is, is concerned, and, and very good point, uh, Brother Mark. I appreciate you pointing. The way I've always remembered this is formative for because uh, that confuses this mm -hmm. brain of mine sometimes. But, uh, you know, in terms of the uses of, of the formative assessment, on a daily basis you never know uh, with a large class, a junior high class that can range anywhere from 25 to 35, and I guess lesser, give or take a few. Uh, it, you, you don't necessarily need a grade on everything that you do, but you right. do need to be able to determine where you need mm -hmm. to start the next day with a specific class and or a specific child, uh, depending upon the subject, topic, whatever. Uh, but, but to me, that's what formative is all about. It's, it's helping you formulate or form your teaching or your instruction for the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the reality is, you know, you, you come in with a great plan as a teacher. You know, that's uh, we spend a lot of time in, in teams and in groups, and we, we are uh, well-trained to do that. But what a master teacher is able to do is to sometimes adapt that plan, right? In other words, there are elements of the plan that can be shifted according to that assessment in the moment, right? It's, it's on the fly. It's in the moment many times. And uh, that's really what, if you watch a master teacher do that work, it's very clear 
it's not a one size fits all, you know, right. everybody's getting the same information, the same response, the same uh, assignment. There really is some variability based upon where the kid is in that moment or where the class is at that moment. Yeah. And when you're talking about summative assessments, you're talking about, you know, things that are generally the same for every kid, no matter where they are. Yes. The, the same 20 questions are going to be asked of every kid. And you might modify that based on needs uh, in terms of legal legal needs if a, if a kid is in special education or you know or if he has modifications uh, for each thing but but basically it's all the same uh, formative assessment is personalized for every student at where they are if, if it's done the right way uh, and and where they are and how they get to that very next step so obviously that happens a lot more often um, I like to think that that you know if you put a ratio on it that 75 percent of our assessing is going to be mm-hmm. formative assessment and maybe 25 percent. Uh, summative. So the the vast majority of the assessing that we do is the, the the checks for understanding and the things that happen throughout each and every day. And uh, the the big thing to note, I think, is to have a plan and to have have an organized way that we that we do that assessment. Mm-hmm. Old school is you know you hand out the the worksheet in math and it has the problems and you go by and check on the kids that need help, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. What we lose is the kids that are doing well but could be doing better. Um, and so having a plan about how we how we assess every single student in the room is a big deal, I think, for formative assessment. Yeah, and that, that point you made about the, the kids that are doing well but could be doing better, in Texas, it's the STAR test. You, if you're from Texas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's always some kind of assessment, end of the year, summative assessment, some state-mandated test. And uh, Brother Chris hit on a very important point uh, those that are doing well that can be doing better, those are the ones that can be our level three students, which is the highest uh, grades you can make on one of our STAR exams, and that gives you the biggest bang for the buck. So we don't want to uh, let them kind of get lost in the shuffle right. because mm-hmm. they're, they're making it. Uh, we want them to make it and then go beyond. Right, really get them to stretch. You know, it reminds me a, a lot of, you know, when you talk about balance, really, uh, Brother Bailey, about that 75-25 is kind of what you described, yeah. a little bit of uh, formative versus uh, summative. You know, I coached for six years, and uh, in off-season, of course, the kids want to lift weights. And you know, junior high boys, a lot of times, they get really focused on, you know, the, the max on the bench press or, mm-hmm. or whatever else, right? They're all about that maxing out. Let's max out, coach. Let's go max out, right? That's the thing. And so – uh, and, and really, it's like we might want to work out in between, right? You might actually <laughs> want to improve, you know, and I think about that as that, that, that formative practice is, is what you're doing in the middle to get better, right, yes. and get stronger, and it's, it's guided by the teacher. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, tips and, uh, and some of the uh, strategies that, that we can use uh, within this sort of framework of, of assessment. What are you thinking? Uh, very interesting timing here. I, I just had a, a conversation with my, one, one of my department uh, teams, and you know, they were struggling with uh, a recent quiz grade, felt like the kids could have done a lot better, really took a, 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 a severe look at, at that test, uh, and one of my teachers, you know, made, made the point that, you know, when, when she teaches the subject, what she does a lot is the formative, or excuse me, yeah, the formative assessment. And she'll do that with a ticket out uh, as they leave the class to prepare for the next day. And just it could be just as simple as uh, uh, write something down that you learned today. Yeah. Uh, write something down that you struggled with today. Mm-hmm. She collects all that 
those tickets and that helps her formulate tomorrow's lesson. Mm -hmm. And you can do the same thing on the way in. Uh, and uh, the most beautiful scenario here that I've seen is in uh, Reader's Writer's Workshop where they do anecdotal records, mm -hmm. and that is purely formative. So mm -hmm. uh, those are just two examples, simple, simple examples of uh, formative ex assessment. You know, the big point about the ticket out that, that you made that I think is something that sometimes we miss is the part where you actually analyze the information. It's yeah. not just uh, something busy for the kids to do to the end of class, but mm -hmm. taking that information and collecting it and knowing how to structure your class for right. the next day. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the power in the ticket out. And master teachers do that. Uh, it's a little bit harder for, for, for newer teachers. At some, and there's some new teachers that do a great job as well, but I think you know a master teacher is going to do all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, my, my thoughts are twofold. Uh, the first one being the example in our language arts classrooms here at, at Morton Ranch. Uh, I have to give a shout out to, mm -hmm. to our language arts here that, and the work that they're doing in the Readers and the Writers Workshop model, uh, particularly uh, with conferring with students. And, and conferring with students is, you know, they're working on, they, they might be working uh, on a piece of, uh, of writing and, and they write and, and the teacher has a systematic approach about uh, about conferencing with that or conferring with that with that student uh, about where they are and there's a, a set uh, rubric or proficiency scale um, that is in front of them uh, that allows the the student to know exactly where they are at the time and the teacher to ask guiding questions about how they can get to that next level um, I you know I, I, I see teachers in our classes all the time go up and say okay you know this you know this this is at emerging right now and and tell me how you think you can get too proficient and the kids understand that that language they understand the process uh, to get there the other one is um, and, and I don't have any specific uh, thing in these classrooms but if you ever have a chance run by one of your uh, performing arts classrooms during uh, during your conference period. Yeah. Run mm -hmm. by your uh, your band hall or your orchestra hall, or your choir hall, and if you want to see formative assessment mm -hmm. at work, go in and check those guys out. It is what they do. It is it is uh, authentic information and feedback, differentiated, back differentiated right. for mm -hmm. every student, um, all the time. I mean, you, I, I would not be surprised to walk into a band hall and see. Um, 40 formative assessments that happen in the course of a 45 minute period. I'm not kidding. I mean, it's that, it's that rich in terms of, of the feedback back and forth and kids analyzing their work and giving it back. Uh, it, it's just really great. My friend Jeff Stocks over at Taylor one time, and he may not even remember this, but when um, he was an AP at Taylor, uh, he was my appraiser. And I remember him saying, boy, I wish every teacher could go in and watch a band director work. Mm -hmm. um, because it's that you know it's that rich of a, um, of a of a thing that they do in terms of the feedback back and forth. It's not unlike the great coaches on the football field mm -hmm. and how they mm -hmm. analyze and give that feedback right away. Mm -hmm. Great examples, and it really you know when you when you think you're pretty masterful as a uh, content level teacher, just as as Brother Bailey said, walk into a, a band uh, director and, and watch what they're doing, and man. Uh, their work goes out on the stage for performance, oh, yeah. which really is just uh, the ultimate in uh, 
and vulnerability and transparency. So uh, I have a lot of, uh, of admiration for folks in the fine arts, that's for sure. And may I add, and I don't mean to interrupt you there, Mark, but before we go any further, if you really want a taste of that, go to a UIL sight reading <laughs> band performance. They will let as many of you in there as you want to be in there. And I'm telling you, the first time I, I went and saw that, I was absolutely blown away. Daunting, right? When you watch that, it's just daunting. I've never, as a leader of a building, I don't think I've ever been under that that much Mm -hmm. pressure Mm -hmm. and had that much stress. All eyes are on you. Mm -hmm. The kids have never seen this music before. They go in blind, but they have everything that you've taught them up to that point to fall back on mm-hmm. and oh my god i just it is a and I'm, I'm encouraging you to do it if you've never done it mm-hmm. it's the most amazing thing i've ever seen in and my then life. they have don't leave this part out then they have seven minutes to oh, explain yeah. the piece <laughs> seven minutes to explain yeah. the piece and then the child is going or the band is going to perform the piece absolutely <laughs> and, and they can't practice uh while the 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 director's explaining which yeah. further blows they can kind of like pretend like they're playing, mm-hmm. uh, but man, it is just. And it, you know, the other point that uh, Brother Mark made, coaching's the same way. You know, you name the sport, uh, you're you're on a stage, and, and you're it, it's you, you assess as you go, and you make decisions, mm-hmm. instantaneous decisions relative to what you're seeing, uh, and it, it's it's amazing. There's and clear it, evidence on the field of of your success, absolutely. right? <laughs> you hope it's success. So I want to talk a couple of about a couple of things related to uh, when the when the teacher is in that sort of stand and deliver mode, right? And uh, of course, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of uh, folks that really want us to move away from some of that sort of lecture format, and, and I'm in complete agreement to that, right? So, uh, however, there are times when direct instruction, where you're uh, you're going to stand at the front of the room and do that work, and it's it's the best thing to do at that moment, you know, for a certain period of time, and doing that in a masterful way so that you can really reach students. Uh, is is a is a skill and it's an art and and so one of the things that I'm thinking about that really helps teachers get feedback that sort of uh, that formative assessment are uh, total response signals and and those are things uh, that you can have your class do uh, which for example so if you throw out a question or an idea talk about well, how how well do you understand that say if you understand this completely you feel really comfortable give me a thumbs up. If you're kind of in the middle, give me a flat hand, and if you don't get it at all, give me that thumbs down. Um, and so the teacher's able to pretty quickly uh, assess sort of where the kids are and whether they need to continue a little conversation around that or they could move on and maybe target some of those students later. One of the key sort of uh, stepping away, you know, people will do this, say, hey, give me a thumbs up if, and but they don't sit there and really insist that every yeah. student give that thumbs up, thumbs down, or flat hand. Because not only are you looking for feedback, you're also want to making sure that everyone is engaged, right? Yep. That everyone gives a, a response. It's a really important idea for your classroom engagement and just making sure that everybody's voice counts. So uh, that's one thing. The other thing is really just uh, sharpening up questioning protocol, how you ask questions. And uh, so often, you know, teachers ask questions sort of off the cuff. And what we really need to do uh, is really reserve some sort of rock star questions, some really telling, important questions that relate back to the day's objective uh, and really craft those in a powerful way. And you're going to use these as tools. And when you do that, uh, you're going to do something that really kind of 
opportunity there's an opportunity for randomizing within your class so and then there's some debate about this sometimes about whether you know is this unfair what if kids are introverts and how do you deal with that you know like if you're going to pull a popsicle stick and everyone has a chance to be called upon you guys know as adults sometimes that could make you uneasy right if you were in a crowd uh, but there's a certain uh, you know there's a certain level of being uneasy that's okay because it, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit of that anticipation that really brings folks into engagement. Uh, and so what I, I think there are ways around that. So if you get a, a kid that is not able to answer the question, we'll talk about that in a minute. But so, so imagine you've got this purposefully designed question. It's on target. You pull, you pull your randomized stick and say, okay, Dr. LeBlanc, this is your question. Um, and the, the key is is the order at which you do this because the reality is I just did it wrong, right? And this is a common mistake. So they draw the question or they draw the person before they ever ask the question. And so what happens then is the whole class kind of, ooh, uh, now it's not yeah. me. I can sit back and now let's, now let's see Jake. He's yeah. going to screw this thing up, yeah. isn't he, right? <laughs> so what, what's really critical is to ask the question up front, right? You ask the question up front. And then you're going to allow that purposeful think time, right? Uh, sometimes that think time can become awkward, but you want to really stretch it out. And at this point, no one knows who's going to be called on. Everyone knows what the question is, and everybody has time to think about it. So three to seven seconds is at the minimum for a low-level question. And for a really high-level, higher, deeper-order thinking questions, you've got to give more time than that. Then you pull, you pull the stick, you ask the question, uh, and, you know, if you need more wait time, you can do that. If not, you know, the, usually the student will say, you know, I don't know, or uh, they give their best shot. Really recommend also asking that question to be repeated in the, in the form of a complete sentence, right? And so you're, you're asking the student to not just get, grasp and repeat the content. You want that thinking and that formulation of language to happen within the mind. Yeah. Uh, that helps the learning be sticky, and it also helps them develop language skills. Uh, and then, you know, if, if you've got those introverted kids or those kids that really just don't know the answer, you know, you have to have some opt-out opportunities for kids in class. You know, right. they can phone a friend, so to speak, or, you know, you can, they can pass it on to someone else. Uh, but I think if you do that, you just want to always go back to that kid that passed it on and ask them to sort of repeat that question or back to your answer again. So I know that sounds kind of like a, like, wow, I guess every question lasts like 20 minutes. That's really not the case because right. it moves pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, so again, I think having great questions planned, you say the question, you, you pick the student randomly, all that think time in there, uh, and then you ask them to hopefully answer in complete sentences, you know, and, and opportunities to opt out if they need to. And the whole process may take a little bit longer, mm -hmm. but, the, but the output is going to be greater. And so maybe, maybe the student, and, and certainly, certainly the student that answers the question, but every other student who thinks they might be called on mm -hmm. is spinning that cognitive wheel as well. So, so hopefully you're grasping the knowledge at a higher rate so that you don't have as much going back and back and back in the intervention uh, in, the, in the intervention mindset you're you're getting it on the front end with that quality first teach the the other thing I was going to say we talked a lot about formative on that but also on the summative side of things um, once you've taken that uh, end of unit test once you've taken that uh, end of end of semester end of course test what do you do with that information mm -hmm. um, and and so you know not really a tip or trick here but 
analyzing that data and getting in and finding the the, the large scale data, what the what the whole class looks like or the whole uh, grade level looks like on each you know each teak within that data, and then also all the way down to the individual student and how. A, I need to teach this maybe different the next time, or B, how I'm going to, uh, you know, spiral this in to the mm -hmm. next unit so that I don't lose those those kids with the deficiencies that they may have. Uh, you got to have that data piece, and, and and don't be afraid of the data. Mm -hmm. it, it's you know, it's not necessarily a condemn a condemnation on the teaching. Uh, you know, that, that, hap that, that may be happening. Now, there may need to be some changes in the way that, that we teach a unit or a teach a, a TEAK, uh, but don't be afraid of the data and, and be open to sharing that with your colleagues. Right. Um, you know, everybody is in that same place, and if, we're, if we open ourselves to be a little bit vulnerable to help kids at the end of that, then that's going to help our, our practice a lot more. Two very critical points uh, that Brother Mark and Brother Chris brought up. When, when when brother Mark was talking about the questioning and, and, and just just beautifully described uh, a situation whereby you can use that to your full advantage, I go back to several episodes ago. We talked about relationships. Students are going to be willing to be vulnerable when they're in a classroom built around trust. And the other really critical piece of information that he gave that I hope you caught was that you you know who you're going to ask that question to you know you're going to differentiate your questions just like you differentiate instruction I'm going to ask Dr. LeBlanc a question that I know he can answer if he's the guy that's struggling uh, or I'm going to have I'm going to ask him to extend on the answer when he's already heard the answer just to have him have a say and to give him some confidence because Dr. LeBlanc needs all the confidence he can get, trust me. Uh, <laughs> beyond that, that, beyond that, as far as, uh, you know, what Brother Bailey was saying uh, in terms of the summative test, basically we have to be reflective. Uh, and that's what using that data is all about. And that's that conversation I was talking about originally uh, when we were talking about a formative and this, we were introducing this topic, the conversation I was having with my department, we were reflecting on the data. We were reflecting on what a quiz told us about our instruction and, and where we needed to go with it. So uh, there is no condemnation. It's a matter of mm -hmm. the only way my students are going to get better in terms of learning is if I'm better at assessing yep. both formatively and summatively. And if I have made a mistake in a in the creation or the structure or the type of assessment that I've given, I've got to own it and not be, you know, not be reluctant or, or uh, feel uh, compelled not be embarrassed, I guess is the thing I'm trying to say, because we're all learning mm -hmm. right? Uh, and we're all trying to get better. And the only way our students are going to get better is if we get better at what we do. So reflecting on our, on our, uh, assessment and then again in terms of the questioning if you've established that environment in your classroom where it's it's okay to take risk in fact you encourage risk taking mm -hmm. your kids are going to answer mm -hmm. questions right and, and and hopefully at the by the certain point in that year you're going to be able to ask dr lamal those really hard questions because by mm -hmm. then he's not going to be afraid to to answer them or at least make that attempt mm -hmm. Well, you, you both spoke a little bit about data and looking at the data. And 
uh, and transparency. And I, I think that is a critical point that you make uh, in terms of really assessing our own practice, right? And yes. so often we sit down and we get these numbers and, you know, instead of sort of digging into maybe how our instructional practice was lacking, right, uh, we, we attack the question, right? In, in other words, we try to find the, the fault in the, the assessment, right, that was created uh, by whoever. And a lot of times it was created by the teachers on the team themselves. Or at the very worst, and sometimes we do that, let's be honest, we attack the student. Well, right. this kid can't yeah. get it. Or the yeah. class. Yeah. 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 It's just and, a bad class. And so same, same in my mind, it's all, it's kind of this denial, um, you know, it's, it's not being real, vulnerable, and really uh, looking at it. And not to say that some students uh, struggle more than others, right? We know that's the truth. And, and also right. we know that we can design a bad test question, yes. right? I mean, absolutely that we can. But the first thing we should do when we're looking at data is think inwardly and say, you know, what, what about our practice? What can I adjust? Uh, because some of those other things are harder to control, right? right. Um, that quality first teach that you mentioned and some of the things that we're doing within the classroom. All right, the next topic we're going to talk about is uh, retesting and redoing uh, our major assignments. And this could obviously be uh, testing, uh, also just major projects, anything that you're going to give a major grade for. Uh, and I'm going to turn that question mm -hmm. over to uh, Brother Mark. So, uh, you know, it's a few years back that we uh, were charged with uh, developing our local uh, retest and redo policies or practices. Policy is not really the right word for that, but the practices that we have on our campuses. And uh, it is sort of a, a site-based decision. You know, each uh, each campus working with their uh, their CAT team, their campus advisory team sort of looks at this process. And it's a yearly review. Um, and the spirit of it, uh, I, I happen to, you know, really support this practice because especially with major grades that are so uh, influencing and that, uh, that final thing that is so judging for so many kids, uh, in my mind, I, I'm not so worried about when the kids learn it, right? I'm much more worried that they learn it, right. not when, but that. And so, um, you know, and different schools do that different ways. You know, in my mind, when I think about grading, I think grades should reflect mastery. I mean, I think yes. that's what, and a lot of people assume that, that that's all that's going in there, that whenever I, uh, I look at that grade, I look at that number, that's a, and it's very telling about whether the kid mastered those standards or they did not master the standards. And uh, unfortunately, that's, you know, sometimes not always the case uh, when, when we move other things in there, you know, like late point penalties or extra credit points and things that sort of skew that number. But what I like about the retest redo policy or practice, I should say, is that it gives kids an, another opportunity to go in and readdress a failure and turn it around into something that's more positive. It gives hope. And, you know, so often, you know, when we think about grades and assessment, we don't think very much about hope. I was in a conversation yesterday with a, a group that's working on some of this, and uh, that, that point came up, and it really, I've been reflecting about that since yesterday afternoon, is that, you know, things like our retest redo policy give students that have struggled for whatever, you know. I mean, we have kids that go through serious family situations in the evening, or they have jobs, you know, outside. I mean, they have just things happen, and we all know we sometimes just have a bad day, right? And so if you've got this single point of data and there's no way to go back and recover from it, that steals your hope. And so I, I really I, I love the fact that we are very conscious about hearing the community's voice and uh, create these structures and practices that allow students to have hope when it comes to what they've learned. 
Well, I'll just say that I, I am a, I'm a fan and an advocate of giving kids an opportunity, regardless of what they make the first time, an opportunity to get it as right as possible, and again, to reflect the mastery when, uh, that they learn it, not when they learn it. You know, uh, let's think about our jobs. You know, when, when Dr. Bell gives me an assignment to do, you know, gives me a, a project to do, you know, I'm going to make, I'm going to take a run at it. Maybe I'm going to get the whole thing right the first time. Probably I'm not. And so I'm going to take the, you know, take the work back to, to my boss. And she's going to say, uh, not quite there yet. Why don't, you know, why don't we look at this or do it this way or, or do it that way? And uh, maybe my answer should be, uh, maybe not. This is about all I'm going to do. It's about a 70. It should work. <laughs> No, of course I'm not going to say that because the next thing she's going to say is go find another job. Uh, no, I'm going to take it back and I'm going to revamp and I'm going to rework and I'm going to redo it to uh, to that mastery level to where you know my boss is satisfied or beyond satisfied with with the work that I've done. Mm-hmm. So you know, and, and I get it. You know, there there have to be deadlines and there have to be you know Absolutely. cutoffs. Uh, you know, and and we can't say you know this this test that you took in August and made us a 50 on that you can retest it in May to get a 90 right. uh, when you haven't done any tutorials, you haven't tried to, to, uh, to get help on, mm-hmm. on the stuff. There have to be things in place, but uh, I think it's a lot more powerful statement, a statement mm-hmm. of hope, a statement of grit, a statement of, uh, you know, try to want to, I want you to succeed when I tell you, look, I want you to be able to do better because I know you can do better and this is what I'm going to do to bring you along so that you can reach mastery. I think it also, in my opinion, uh, begins to start de-emphasizing the number, the right. letter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's so hard. We're all ingrained in this, right? I mean, what we all know in the, in, in the community uh, as professionals, we all know uh, what we know because we went through most of us public school. Right. And so that's how grading was when we were there. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you either you didn't have retests, which a lot of us didn't, or if you had a retest, the best you could make is a 70. So that must be the way it has to be. Right. Um, well, you know, the fact is the data shows that that doesn't always work. Um, and, and giving students that hope that they can do better uh, and and master the learning is, is I think that what we should all be about. And one of the things that uh, I thought of when I when we got into this part of the conversation, uh, you know, there's obviously parameters relative to our retest practices per campus in the district. So we have some leeway relative to how we're going to do it. But then I started thinking, you know, we're so used to the bell curve. You know, you've got X percent of students that are going to fail. you got X percent are going to make D's, C's, B's, A's, et cetera. Uh, well, that I don't know that that's uh, uh, a healthy way to think about sure. grading mm-hmm. any longer. Uh, we were all introduced to the J curve a few years ago uh, by a former uh, – uh, super assistant superintendent here in the district, Dr. Elizabeth Clark, and and basically her point there being, is there ever too many A's? Can right. can you ever give too many A's or B's right. or passing grades? 
so on and so forth. Well, well so, the bell curve would happen if there was no kind of intervention, right? And we have well, exactly. teaching and instruction going right. on. So you expect right. to not just have this norm of no nothing happened, exactly. right? I mean, you just came in the door like exactly. this. So you're going to have that J curve. So and I agree with uh, with uh, these two other gentlemen that you know it, it's it's a blessing that we have this opportunity. We all happen to be on campuses that are. Uh, that that, it, that that have high at promise populations and they need other opportunities. If if you don't allow other opportunities f- to these particular types of students, uh, they're going to accept failure, and mm-hmm. and that is not something we want to teach any child uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But it's something we can't uh, ingrain in our students. Uh, because they've dealt with quite a bit of that mm-hmm. uh, by the time they get to a, to uh, us so already. So they need, mm-hmm. as these gentlemen have pointed out, they need that hope. Uh, and if we're not willing to give them that hope, uh, we're we're kind of we're we're in the wrong place. Absolutely, I agree. You you made me think of one of my favorite books, Jake. Uh, by ben, uh, a man named Benjamin Zander, The Art of Possibility, oh, uh, where in one of mm-hmm. one of the chapters, he uh, it's called Giving an A, and, and uh, in his classes uh, where he teaches university, uh, every kid starts with an A. Right. Every kid starts mm-hmm. with an A, and every kid finishes with an A. He says, forget about the grade. You will have an A in this class. Mm-hmm. You'll have an A in this class. It, it's going to be an A. And, you know, the mindset that he creates where kids want to work towards that, um, towards, you know, loving the class and loving the work and loving the content is such a different different way to think about that work. It's a, it's a po- really powerful statement. And, and believe it or not, uh, Brother Bailey, this is going to shock you, but I read that book. Mm. We did a book study on that book, and that is a rule number six. I love it. Love the book. <laughs> Rule number six. You got to read the book to get that one. Oh, that's uh, a good one. One of the things that he also pointed out that was really another critical piece to that is about goal setting. He basically had his students write at the beginning of the semester how they got a name or yeah. what they well, did right. to get a, a name. So I mean, yeah. yeah, a letter to yourself, and oh man, that was an awesome, powerful book, and it was uh, again. You know, I'm not a fine arts guy, right? But I'm I'm mm-hmm. on fire for, for me some fine arts. Well, the the, the last thing that, the last thing that I will uh, that I'll say, Mar. say on this is, uh, you know, anything that we can do that emphasizes the learning over the grade is really kind of a positive yes. in my mind. You know, we get so caught up sometimes in the way we are reporting the learning that we lose sight of and we we actually encourage the kids to sort of lose sight of what's the most important thing which is all about the learning so anything that we could do related to assessment and shifts that we can make that help to drive us toward the learning is where we need to go in my opinion and another thing another point that i would make grades are singular they they're attached to one person uh how many of us live and work in an environment where everything depends upon us as leaders of our buildings, we rely very heavily and depend upon the folks mm-hmm. that are in the classrooms. And that, that's where the rubber meets the road, as Dr. Hint says, our new superintendent. I mm-hmm. love that theory or that thought because I, I believe in that so much. Uh, and the, us three, we, we collaborate. We get information from one another because we don't each individually hold the key to knowledge. Uh, it's a shared thing, so that's another important point. That's awesome. 
Well, we're going to have to end because uh, Dr. LeBlanc's breaking all the electronic equipment here. So, um, uh, my bad. <laughs> no, in uh, uh, all seriousness, an- another great conversation, gentlemen. Enjoy being with you. And, and those of you who have listened, thank you very much. Um, tell your friends and, and colleagues uh, about our podcast, Lead Up Katie Cast. You can find us on Stitcher, uh, iTunes Podcast, uh, or SoundCloud by searching lead up katie cast uh, and, and again you can find us on twitter uh, dr underscore jake leblanc or at mark mccord 10 and at sticks bailey leave us a comment let us know what you'd like to hear we've gotten uh, several comments on, on future podcasts and those will be coming so mm-hmm. keep those uh keep those comments coming keep those suggestions coming thank you gentlemen yes sir, thank you. Yes, sir. all right take care mm-hmm.